Ah, hello everyone. Welcome to Satsang on a beautiful Easter Sunday. Uh, for some of you, still in the morning. For many of you, the day is almost over. Anyway, I just wanted to start out by uh, mentioning um, that, uh, you know, this is an amazing uh, holiday. It, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus um, is, is the centerpiece of Christianity. It is the, well, that is to, Christianity is what it's become in, in the world. It, it isn't actually even center to it. What's, I, I know I created a rather provocative title, um, <laughs> namely uh, uh, Easter, Resurrection, Fertility, Both. Um, because the, the history of this particular holiday um, really goes way back into antiquity. The idea of a, of a, of a, resurrection, of a resurrected Savior is as old as mankind. Um, it's always been some kind of resurrected thing. I mean, there are you know, people who are uh, you know, these kind of special beings that were then sacrificed, their body cut up and spread, and that was the origin of coconuts, that's the origin of corn for the, for the Native Americans. The, in agricultural uh, environments, the, that metaphor of the seed dying as a seed, being planted into the ground, and then, and then a few days or weeks later coming back, uh, resurrecting into the plant, it has its origins there. Um, and, and so it actually, uh, you know, it is also in the time, of course, this is the time of spring. This is the time of planting, right? This is the time of fertility. This is the time of bunnies and baby chicks um, and later chocolate. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, to see what it has become, and then it becomes concretized into the sense of the, the, the resurrection. When we start looking at the resurrection spiritually, or uh, more, more metaphorically, we, we realize that literally millions of times during our life we have died and been reborn. That the whole process of the human body is one of a constant birth and death. Cells are dying. Some last only a day or less. Some will last, I think, the most is 15 years. Um, so literally, while we're talking, millions of cells are dying and, and being reborn. This is, this is the nature of life itself. It is a constant uh, stream of birth and death, birth and death, birth and death. And there's something transcendent that seems to hold the whole, whole thing together. Because when these cells are reborn, they're, they're recreated, they, they don't become something else, right? You don't suddenly become a tree or an aardvark, right? There's a, there's a consistency to it, and yet it's never, ever the same. It has a, the, on every level, every cell, every organ, every system, and the entire body itself has a cycle. This is what we call at the level of the entire body, that is, this entire conglomerate of stuff that's happening, is, uh, is birth and death. 
And, and so on every level we have this, this cyclical thing working out, which is what the what we call primitive people, actually just non-technological in our sense of the term, uh, uh, people, they saw this. They, they were completely immersed in it every day, so they saw this continuity, which is where the idea of reincarnation came from, you know, the idea of that, that sense, that intuitive sense of life after death, um, that there is something beyond. We all know it. We can feel it, which of course means there was also something before birth. So the resurrection represents transformation. And of course, there can't be a resurrection without first a crucifixion. There can't be a re being reborn without a death. So, so there's this need for us to embrace both sides of the equation. The fact is, we're dying all the time, and we're being reborn all the time. At some point, this physical form is no longer going to want to sustain itself. Well, it's no longer going to be sustainable, and it will just, it will just dissolve. In the Hindu tradition, they have names for these. They have anthropomorphized names for this. Brahma, which is the creation, the, the, the birth. Uh, Vishnu, which is the sustainer. And uh, Shiva, which is the which is the destroyer. There is this cycle of constant, but it's not like there's a creation, then there's a duration, and then there's, a, and then there's an end. It's constant. It's always happening. Every single second is a creation and endurance and a, and a dissolution. Um, so what has, got, what has happened is that this incredibly beautiful metaphor has been, has been turned into what, it, what is regarded as a concrete historical fact, and then arguing that that must be the case. Now, you have to understand that there's, there's almost no evidence. Well, there is no evidence for a birth and for a death and a resurrection of Christ. The, the only evidence there is is the stories in the Gospels um, that were based uh, in the, and actually the death, the resurrection doesn't even happen in all of them. Um, they're contradictory. And outside of that, there's absolutely no there's absolutely no reference to it whatsoever. Um, look at the the historicity of it, and it is just it's well it 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 didn't happen. <laughs> it simply it simply didn't happen. Um, there's no evidence that it did. So what Christianity has done is painted itself into a corner. It has to prove that it was a historical fact. Or from their per, their perspective, his, uh, um, Christianity is false. It, it's a lie. And of course, you, when you've based your entire life, your culture's life, your <laughs> everything in life, our, geez, our legal system is ba is ba is based on is based on that the, the law which Christianity came from. When you do that, it's kind of hard to kind of just go, oh, oh, never mind. Guess it wasn't true. Incredibly difficult for that to do. Almost really impossible to do. But that's what's happened. Instead of seeing it as, as a metaphor for, for an eternal truth, and then letting that truth be clothed once again in modern clothes, because the same, the same body can wear different clothes. It doesn't change the essence. But instead, it's been this forced issue of trying to prove its historically. And of course, 
it got all mixed up with the fertility rites of, <laughs> of, of various cultures as, as the church trying to, trying to absorb other cultures into itself, kind of stuck the, uh, stuck the, uh, the, the resurrection story in the middle of springtime. Um, but it makes sense, right? Because the seed dies and it germinates and it's reborn as, it's reborn as corn or a coconut or, or, or something. Um, so I always like to, to point out that if any of these stories have any value whatsoever, and frankly, as history, it has no value, especially when there isn't any, <laughs> There's simply, uh, it, it's simply a myth that got put into the form of a of a religious principle or dogma, and then had to become historically true. And at that moment, it lost it lost its life. So, let's resurrect the resurrection. And how do you do that? Well, you you bring it into yourself. What is your own resurrection? On a spiritual level, we are all going through a transformation. And that transformation is from being the, the being completely lost in the unconscious. And the unconscious is nothing other than our animal or instinctual nature, our instincts. It is, it is our, it, it, it is just all the basic stuff of life, the safety mechanism, the desire, desire to procreate and, and be safe and to, you know, to have things for, for shiny objects. And in human beings, a, a sense of self based on that. And that's the unconscious. That's all there is to it. It is not self-aware. It does not have the capacity to examine itself, you know, any more than a dog does. You know, a, a, a dog, I mean, wonderful, right? <laughs> you know, loving, kind, they don't have, they don't have any uh, ego overhead in their, in their life, but they do not have the capacity to go, geez, I wonder if I could be more than a dog. They can't do that. We can. And that, when that dawns, when something inside us wakes up to begin to realize that we can do that, and it doesn't happen for everybody, okay? <laughs> we all know people who just, it is what it is, and that's what it is. Right? But, but that moment when we, when we begin to question, when we be, something inside begins to look at them, well, wait a minute, I, this is con do I have to be this conditioned? That is the resurrection. That, and that resurrection is is honestly and wholeheartedly, intentionally entering into the crucifixion because the crucifixion stands for the death of the instinctual self and the birth of the spiritual being. Now, of course, it's not really a death because, because birth and death are, go hand in hand. It's a, it's a transformation. It is no longer the sum total of you. The, the lesser is always subsumed into the greater. It's never just it thrown away. You know, if you, you wake up and suddenly your body disappears, it's still there. It's still doing its thing. And, 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 and so the deeper, the deeper meaning of it is to subsume the whole thing, is to now see the body and all its functionings functioning not as something happening out there, but as the very manifestation of being itself. This is the transformation, that resurrection that takes place in the heart.
and, and you know, it, there's a difference between when it's just kind of intellectual and something inside just craves it. You want it. You want to reach for that sunlight, like, just like the plants. I mean, that's, the plants do that, right? They reach for the sun. In humans, that, that, that's a metaphor for us reaching for the light of our own pure being. So, the, on, on, in that sense, the, the story of birth and resurrection, which appears in numerous, numerous, um, uh, death and resurrection, yeah, in numerous, numerous uh, cultures, going very, far, very, very far back, is still relevant. What it was pointing at, the truth that it was pointing at, is still relevant. When you take the truth and you freeze it, you petrify it, you say that this appearance of it is, is the whole of it, you, you have completely destroyed the, the, the story's capability to transform and guide a culture. And if you look around, that's where we're at. We have lost the cultural narrative that gives meaning to all of this, and we're floundering. And it's been replaced, basically, by economics. So now, uh, you, know, it, you know, bunnies and eggs and baby chicks and sell a lot of chocolate, it has no meaning anymore. Right? <laughs> you know, people say Happy Easter, and it's great. A lot of people have said Happy Easter to me today as I've, I've been out and about. But it's like, but it's like, uh, where's the substance of it? More than ever, the world, everyone in it, is craving authenticity. It's craving substance. It's creating spiritual nourishment. We've been living on we've been living on potato chips and candy bars for for decades. We need a real meal of spiritual nourishment. That the awakening of that craving is the is the birth pangs of the resurrection. So I'll I'll leave it for that. I'll leave it for uh, with, at that for now. Take a drink of water. So, is it resurrection? Is it fertility? It's both. <laughs> it's both. Ah, lovely. So, um, yes, some, some people have noted I am. I am now in my new place. It's still a bit of a mess. I just moved in yesterday, and. Uh, it is, a, it is a bit of a mess, but um, I think this is where I will be doing satsang. I'm sitting in a stool now. I need to get some kind of a chair. But I will be, I think I will be doing my live streams from here because that's a nice background. Although, I'm delighted to say I actually have a fireplace. So I may be, I may do some fireside chats for us all as well. So, on that note, let's say hello. Hello, Ava. Hello, David and Elaine. Hmm. I'm, I'm happy so far. It's very comfortable. It's very quiet. Uh, the neighbors are all very friendly. It's very different than the last place I lived down in the city. Hello, Marty. Good to see you. There's Rosario, Dorte, Caro in Ireland. Um, Facebook user, spring is the resurrection of the sun, not sun. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, boy, it, it depends on the culture, right? And some people like to use the word sun. And, it, and of course, in the cultures where these originated, they didn't speak English. So it wouldn't have been even close, even close to the same word. The, the, um, the winter solstice, of course, is the, is, is the, 
is the is the is the is the death, and then the, you know they're, they're expecting the the resurrection to happen, and at this point it hits the apex, right? The equinox. It hits the uh, the uh, the apex, but, and it is it's the resurrection of the of the sun. It's the resurrection in its glory. It's the resurrection of the plants. It's the resurrection of life. It's it's life coming back to life. Now, and note noteworthy. This would be in. This would not be in tropical or uh, <laughs> uh, climates. This would be where where you had a severe winter, which is further up north, or in places in 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 Africa where winter meant it was it was there was drought, right? So everything was coming back to life with the water of water of life, and and so that's that's where the whole fertility uh, thing came from. Everything is coming back to life, right? It's springtime, and a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love. <laughs> Hello, Melissa. Hello, Ursula in Portugal. And anyway, happy Easter all. Happy Easter to you. Yes. Hey, you are in your new place. Happy? Be happy there. Thank you. Um Namai Shavaya. Thank you, Facebook user. Happy Fertility Day. <laughs> Play in. Hello, G. I heard this beautiful poem by Rumi today, in the existence of your love, I become non-existent. This non-existence, this list linked to you, is better than anything I ever found in existence. Yes, I'm familiar with that one. In the existence of your love, and of course, with Rumi, there's always this beautiful two sides. It, 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 it can go to the romantic love, the adoration, and it also goes to God. In the existence of your love, I become non-existent. This is the this is the Sufi This is the heart and soul of the Sufi mysticism, that there, that there is, there's no you. It's not that you come from God and go back to God, right? You there's nothing but God. God is all there is. This is the you that, uh, that Rumi is referring to. There's nothing but that. The, utter, the ultimate resurrection is the resurrection into where the, the crucifixion and the death means you cease to exist. <clears throat> and it is realized that see, you can't be born or you can't die because you were never existent in the first place. As Balyani put it, the, the messenger is him. The message is him. The receiver of the message is him. <laughs> he sends himself through himself to himself. Is both the, both the, the sender, the, 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 the sendee, and the sent. It is all the one. Even the doubts you have, even the, the, I don't, the thought, I don't get it, is he, or her, if you prefer? I use using he because that's what the in in, in Sufi traditional Sufi, God was given. We need another one. We need a fourth pronoun that applies only to the one, because none none of the rest do. But so everything you're experiencing, when you say I got distracted, right? That's him. His oneness is his veil. The veil is him. You are that. 
There is no you. There is only God. There is only the one. And you are that. Even the thought that you're not is him. Try to take that in. <laughs> you cannot escape it. There's nothing before him. There's nothing in addition to him. He made nothing. He simply is. <laughs> there is no creation. There is only his being. Which is your being. Even the illusion of being separate is him. There's none other than him. He alone knows him. Only pure awareness is aware. I think that should be self-evident. Only consciousness is conscious. There can't be another that is conscious of it because then there would be a second. It would not be a one. Even if it was derived from the one, there would be a second. There is none other than that one. And you are that. I'm thinking of doing a, two classes, one on the Ribu Gita and one on Balyani, uh, Know Thyself. To know thyself is to know thy Lord. And that's actually from Muhammad. Uh, hello, Ravi in Romania. Hello, Suze. Ooh, beautiful balcony. Love and resonate with your appreciation of natural beauty. Ugly. Great curtains blocking the beautiful trees. Yeah, I don't like them. And these are okay. There's some blinds here, and they're, they're okay. They can get them far enough away. The other one, I took them down because <laughs> they, they were so wide that they, they took up, they blocked too much. Merck, <laughs> uh, hello, Merck. Hello from the, from the train to Stockholm. Hopefully I can still be able to listen up, listen to satsang. So we're born again every instant. Or rather, no actually per, no actual persistent person that experiences changes. Beautiful, beautiful. Y yes, Th that sense of constantly being born again. Keep drilling into that, uh, because that would mean being born again. That there was something that was born, had endurance, and died. Even if it was, even if it was like measured at the quantum level where it's just infinitesimally small. <laughs> but even in quantum, the, you know, the, I think it was uh, Niels Bohr, uh, uh, one of the two guys, him and Max Planck, that developed quantum mechanics. He said, that which we regard as real is made of that which cannot be regarded as real. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. But there actually is no persistent person. That's just a thought projected upon a constant change. And that constant change is the self, which means it's changeless. There's nothing changing at all. I hope I'm not going too far with you all. <laughs> there, is, there is only a thought of a persistent person, of an entity that exists. There is no entity that exists. But bear in mind, even the thought of it is him. There is no you. 
There is no person. There is no self other than the self. So when you're sitting here listening to me, it is the self listening to the, to the message, which is the self, from the messenger, which is the self. <laughs> it is all one. And that oneness appears to be a veil simply because mental activity cannot deal with oneness. It must have two. It must have a subject-object. This is beyond subject-object. It is beyond all human research. It cannot be known. You can only be it. <laughs> so this idea that nothing actually persists. So even the birth and death, the death and resurrection, as the, this cycle, and you could see it in terms of reincarnation if you want, is also an appearance, just a bubble of thought. And what is thought but just a, just a ripple in the infinite ocean of being that is nothing other than the infinite ocean of being. It cannot exist separately from it. And therefore we can lose. We don't need the word wave or current or fish. It's just ocean. That is the ocean. This is the oneness of being. This is the indivisibility and irreducibility of being. And yet, at the same time, it is infinitely varied right? in itself. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> ah. Ah. I guess I'm kind of on this I've just been rereading Know Thyself from ba by Baliani, and it's like amazing, uh, it's just so deeply touching with that, that sweetness, that poetic sweetness that you recognize in Rumi and others. And Baliani was a, is a, was a contemporary of, uh, of uh, Rumi, I think it's the late 1200s, early 1300s, I think it was right around there, uh, 13th century. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> uh, if you haven't read it, ch check it out. Yeah, it's it's the, and the translation to get is um, from a woman named Cecile Twitch. Is her name? She's the one who did the translation. That's that's amazing. Hello, Roberto. Hello, King Dale Clark, and uh, Roberto. For the last week, I have felt a whole emptiness, GP, like I'm in a black hole. Okay. So, let yourself feel that emptiness. Notice that there's a desire to try to get out of that black hole. I shouldn't be in this black hole. How do I get out of this black hole? Even a fear of it, like it's going to take you over, or I'm never going to get out of it. Now you know those aren't true because you have gone in and out of it before. So, and nothing in this world is permanent. It's always in constant flux. So let go of all your ideas or impulses or intention to get out of the black hole and just feel what it's like to be in this empty emotional place. There's just no motivation, no energy, Right? It can almost feel like depression, 
but don't push it away. Don't get into a fight with it. Instead, explore it. It is, after all, just a phase of the emotions and, and, and the mind. It isn't going to kill you. It can't. It, it can't do anything to you at all. And, of course, it is you. It is a part of you. When we say, this is a terrible thing, it shouldn't be happening, I want it to go away, it's like saying, my, this hand, it's a terrible thing, I want it to go away. It, it can't. It's you. <laughs> it needs to be embraced in love. And in that embrace of love, it gets transformed. It changes from the gargoyle to the angel. It, it dies as the ugly form and is resurrected in beauty. Because it's you. <laughs> we want to get rid of our worries, so we get into a fight with worries. Right? i got to get rid of the worry. In the in process of doing that, we have turned worrying thoughts into an adversary, into an actual entity that we're fighting with. Well, there's nobody there. <laughs> it's all you. You know, you're trying to beat up a puppet. <laughs> a puppet on a stick. There's not even a hand inside. It's all you. If you can embrace this, try to embrace this, this emptiness, this black hole, as yourself, as simply an aspect of yourself, and see what happens. Just be willing to ride that horse in the direction it's going and see what happens. You'll notice how the minds don't go there, it's dangerous, you're not going to get back, there's no way out, you're just going to fall down to a hole. Right? And all of that's just the, the, the habit of resisting what's here. Even calling it a black hole or, or uh, the emptiness is just a thought. And that thought says, black hole emptiness, get away. What if it isn't a black hole? What if it's spaciousness? What if this is what it feels like to be totally free? No boundaries. People are afraid of no boundaries. Just imagine infinite space in all directions. That would be totally intimidating unless you became one with that space and you went in all directions. Otherwise, little me in the midst of all of this, become the black hole. Merge with it. Immerse yourself in it. Ask it what it has to offer you. What's your gift? What aspect of me are you? Right. And hopefully you can feel yourself just letting go of, of, of the resistance to life which is really only our ideas about life. We suffer from our ideas about it. There's an idea about this feeling that has come up, and you're suffering because of that idea. And because of that idea, trying to get away, you've not actually experienced what it is, only what you think it is. So drop what you think it is. Take the risk. Okay, I'm going to get trapped in a black hole forever. All right, I'm gone. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Try it. You'll just find your whole being surrendering, and you'll find that there's just this incredible collection.
kaleidoscope of things happen. There's incredible, enormous elation and enormous spacious stillness. And both are you. Don't fight yourself. Because it is nothing but you. The whole universe, folks, is only you that you have disassociated yourself from. You've heard me talk about a lot about suppressed feelings, angels in the basement, the, the parts of us that we have disowned or disassociated from. Everyone you meet, every object you hold, everything you do is disassociated you. The entire universe is simply you having disassociated yourself with the infinite you. That's why it comes back to us in the form of, of God and spirituality and pure awareness, right? to remind us that that's you. There is no little you. You are that. Resurrected as that. You are the universe and more. Embrace it in, in its totality. How's that, Roberto? Robbie, should we accept suffering in life as it is, or accept the natural pain and fear in life, and not transform and label those into suffering, recognizing it as a byproduct of mind, mind conditioning? Thank you. Yes, suffering is all in our relationship with life. There is no suffering in life. The suffering we experience is when our lives become disconnected from our nature. I call it a soul disconnect. When I no longer have access to my own nature, when I feel, in part of that symbolic, I'm disconnected from nature as a whole, right? As the entire planet has become. I mean, we couldn't be destroying the planet at the rate we were if we were connected to our nature and connected to nature in, in general. So, now this is, I, I want to be careful when I say that because uh, in, in modern usage, you know, pain and suffering are equated. Um, and there's no way of getting through life without the experience of pain. You cannot experience love unless you're willing to experience grief. That's the opposite of it. <laughs> right? And the deeper the love, the deeper the grief, because, because nothing, no, no form that love takes is permanent. It will transform into something else. So that which you love will be gone. It will die and resurrect. You know, I, I miss my kids when they were little kids. They're gone. They're gone forever. I will never experience them again like that. <laughs> the five-year-old, my five-year-old sons, my, my ten-year-old sons, my fifteen-year-old sons, they were marvelous at every single age. They were just miraculous. And they're gone, never to return. Now, love doesn't come and go because it's not a form. The form that it, that it appears that manifests it, does not contain it, does not restrict it. And so you see, they're one. <laughs> There's, there is only that, that love. So I mean, that means grief is also love. It's, it's, it's the same 
essence, and you, you can't have manifestation without having both. You simply can't. <laughs> Unless you have the yin-yang, that flow between the apparent opposites, which aren't opposite at all, you have, you, you will have, you can't have any manifestation. Yin-yang is required. <laughs> so how do we, to accept that as it is, right, is the end of suffering. Now, the process of accepting that as it is, is much more easier said than done. Because we have all been conditioned. I mean, the egoic mind is nothing but the collection of preferences for one thing over another. Whereas pure awareness is like space. It has no preferences. Space doesn't care what's inside it. The sky doesn't care if it's a beautiful fluffy cloud or a hot, uh, a cloudless day or a hurricane. It doesn't care. And it's unaffected by it. When we live there, when that sense of I is the sky and not the clouds, then the clouds will come and go. We'll f feel it, but it, it, will, it will not be who we are. There will be no suffering in it. The hurricane will still be a hurricane. <laughs> the evacuation will still be an evacuation. But, but there'll be no suffering in it. I always like to take my time when I speak about that because people can even get the idea then there's something wrong with me because I'm suffering. <laughs> right? I've got to get rid of suffering now. It's not like that. The suffering falls away naturally as we more and more surrender to life as it is. More and more we recognize that our ideas, our thoughts, our beliefs, our assumptions about life are not life. In fact, they limit it, they, const they constrict it, they put boundaries around it. That restricting, trying to restrict that which cannot be restricted is of course going to create suffering. It's the whale in the swimming pool. You can get it in the swimming pool, you can feed it well, you can give it all sorts of toys to play with, but you can't make it really happy because it doesn't belong there, it's constrained. And the, the, the same is true, the same is true for us. And so when we're, when you are experience what you would call suffering, and Buddha used the word suffering not, most of the time, not referring to the kinds of extreme woe is me kind of stuff, but to, but to even the simplest discontent. I'm just not content. That sense of what's next, that sense of something's missing. And it can be very, very subtle. That is suffering. And in our ignorance, we seek to end the suffering, which of course is natural for us to do. That's love. To, end, to desire to end suffering is love. That's compassion. And so our desire to end suffering for ourselves is, is self-love. But we've all been misguided into thinking that what we need is some kind of external condition, something to change. I need a different, you know, different job, different people. It's in a relationship. It's in some kind of different state of mind. I'll, I'll own all day. It's it's something conditional and external, and the idea that something external 
will fill up that discontent. That's what Buddha called greed. <laughs> he wasn't referring to the, just the obscene, uh, just immoral amounts of wealth that are being accumulated now. That, that obviously is greed too. But that's just blown up. That's just an extreme sickness, right? And, and the first symptom is the discontent and the notion that something external can fill that up. And that is all there is to suffering. Sense of something is missing and that I have to get it out there. The spiritual path begins is when you turn towards the suffering and start going in. Just following the guidance of every master and sage that's come before that says, it's not out there. Nothing out there will satisfy you. Turn here and, and start walking inward. Be with that feeling of discontent. Don't reach for the shiny object. Reach for the, reach for the emptiness. Right? Reach, for, reach for the one that is aware of the discontent. This is the spiritual path. The, the goal, whether you're reaching out here or reaching in here, is the same. To end suffering and be happy. <laughs> That's the goal. How do we do it? How do we, how do we actually end suffering and be happy? That's the key. What's the true path to that? Well, that's the path inward. And the, the pinnacle of that path is, is non-dual self-inquiry. That gets to the point of, who am I? Who is it that is suffering? Can there be suffering without a sufferer? Now, the I itself is being talked to, is being, is being reborn, is being resurrected. The I itself becomes the focus of attention. Because if it does all belong to me, then the fact that I don't experience it means I don't know myself. Period. It's not something is missing. If there's discontent, it means I don't know myself. So even the discontent points you home. Thank you, Ravi. Thank you for that. Hello, Liza. Good to see you. Liza. There's a hey, awakened INFJ. David, if death can be seen as the disappearance of a person, a body, a world, do we experience death each time we fall into deep sleep? Rebirth occurs on waking when a character and world uh, come out into existence. That which never dies is the constant awareness, which is the substance of all experience and existence. You know, that's absolutely the truth. That's absolutely the case. At night, when you fall into deep sleep, well, first off, when you fall into sleep at all, this world disappears. It's gone. When you're dreaming, it's a different world, isn't it? It's completely different. And it's as real. You're completely in it. You don't deny it while you're in it. You go, oh, this isn't real. <laughs> you're totally in it. And you have different name, speak a different language, have a different gender, different race, all sorts of things. You can fly, right? <laughs> all sorts of things. But then when you fall into deep sleep, there's just nothing. That is nothing but you. There is no world. There's no identity. Laying next to the, the love of your life, he or she's not there. They're gone. There's nothing. Yeah, it is. What, what you're seeing is the aspects, 
in the waking state, the dreaming state, and, and, the, and the deep sleep, you are simply seeing aspects of awareness, of, of consciousness, as it moves through. And that's exactly what it's doing. It's moving through its phases. And every, it recreates the world every morning. You know, when you wake up from that deep sleep, it's the first thing that happens, is the sense I am, a body, in the world. <laughs> it happens just like that. I am a body in the world. <laughs> and so it is a death, in the sense that every night you disappear, and every morning you are you, something is reborn. But the consciousness, the pure awareness, has remained unchanged. It is simply what has arisen. If you look at it, in a, every day is a cycle of life. Take that across a whole life and you get a birth followed by, by, a, by a, a death. And it's the same thing, it's just on a, it's just on a macro scale. <laughs> exactly the same thing. And then this falls away, and then an, an entire cycle may start over. Usually does. Until, of course, you completely understand this, and then it doesn't need to start over again. And then you, I cannot describe beyond that, but there's no need any longer. There's nothing in you that wants to be something which will give rise to the next I am a body in the world. But this is a meta-cycle, or a mega-cycle, um, which is now what we, you call this life. But what is this life but a series of deaths and rebirths every, what we call a day. That's what marks a day. <laughs> For crying out loud. That's what marks the day. Just a second. <laughs> Don't want to cough into the microphone. So, so yes, because we're so convinced that that this world and everything in it and my life has continuity, rather than being just an an inf, a, a extraordinarily rapid series of births and deaths happening which they came to see at the quantum level. That's what happens. Things go in and out of existence. It's just mind-boggling. But please don't take that to mean I can like manifest a house. That's all nonsense. That's New Age appropriating a, 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 just a deeply powerful insight into the nature of reality. So, um, thanks for that, uh, David. Um, yeah, and, and Elaine, it's really... If you can see it like that, you'll see that this is just the cycle that's playing, and it has nothing to do with you. You, other than, it is you made manifest. The self appears as as as, as David and Elaine, <laughs> and their life individually and their life together. Mm. Beloved Su Sufism, yes, it is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, let's see, Carl. AGP, congrats on your place. What are the energetic qualities of the true self? <laughs> well, when we are talking about purely the true self, the, the one self, it has no attributes. You cannot 
give it an attribute. In so doing, you will limit it. You cannot think of the self, of the infinite, in terms of anything whatsoever. It is completely empty. Because of its emptiness, the potential for all possible attributes exists. But if the, that from which the attributes arose had any inherent attribute itself, you could not have infinite potential. You could not have infinite possibility because the source would itself be an attribute. But an attribute of what? <laughs> Remember, attributes are, are characteristic of something. Sweetness, characteristic of honey. Now, you can't separate the two. But the sweetness is not the honey. But what is honey without the sweetness? You cannot, you cannot confine love to any particular act of love. Even calling it love puts a boundary around it because it's also truth, it's also beauty, it's also soul, it's also life, it's also essence, it's also awareness. We list word after word to point to that which cannot be put into words. So it does not have any energetic qualities. Now, when we look at the manifest world, we see things as energetic qualities, as vibration, right? But we often think of it as the manifestation as, as being somehow different from or differentiated from that which is which it manifests. And this is the... This is the confusion we get into. We have created duality. We've made God and a creation. <laughs> there is no creation in that sense. There is only that. And you cannot define the self or, or give it any attributes. And yet, at the same time, all attributes are the self. This is the mystery. This is the, the, what makes non-duality seem so obscure or, or arcane because you can't put these things into words. How, is it, how can it possibly be that the messenger, the message, and the one who receives the message are all one? <clears throat> when we look at it logically, why would God... You know, send a message which which is himself <laughs> to himself. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Well, but it, from that point of view, we've made him into two. Right? Send itself to itself. It is the spontaneous arising at this moment of the nature of being itself. God is not a being among many beings. It is essential being itself. It's all that is. Nothing else exists. Everything else is an appearance of. 
God is the word or the self or Buddha nature or pure awareness is the only existence. It is the only thing that is. When you look at the scientific inquiry, really honest, in-depth scientific inquiry, they are looking for what is. It's recognized that all of this is an appearance. This, this jar isn't solid, right? It's in constant flux. At, at the level of the, the atomics and the constant motion, at the level of quantum, things are coming in and out of existence constantly. We have the illusion of continuity, consistency, solidity. It's a perceptual distortion. It's not real. Now, recognizing that, the scientists uh, just keep going further and further because it's, it's acknowledged, it's self-evident, there must be something there. What is that? There must be something irreducible and indivisible. Well, most people commonly still think there's some kind of fundamental particle. Uh, in, in theoretical physics and quantum um, have, have gone beyond that decades ago. There is no ultimate particle. <laughs> All of this is not made of little things. There are no little things. We're looking for what is, what actually has independent, inherent existence. It is self-existent. It is not the appearance of something else. And the only difference between, between that genuine kind of scientific inquiry and non-dual inquiry is that that is, the thing that is, is indivisible and irreducible, and the non-dual is consciousness. <laughs> that the sense I am is the God particle. It is what they are looking for, except they keep thinking it's out there, that it made me rather than I made it. And so, I don't know if I'm mixing up the question, the, 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 the question here. So even what we call energy and energy patterns and vibration, even that is simply a concept. It's, it's, it's an idea. It is a, it, it's, it, it's, it's an assumption. It too is just an appearance. And what everything is an appearance of is what actually is, which cannot possibly appear. The moment it appears, it has definition, attributes, boundaries. It, it has an outline. That which is cannot itself appear. That is you. And that is why you can't find you. <laughs> you cannot appear. And any thought of you is wrong. You cannot appear. You simply are. You are what is. Uh, I like where it's gone today. I hope I'm not losing anybody because we're we're not playing on the periphery today. <clears throat> Clay Sue, um, have been trying to support my transgender daughter at the suggestion that she is wonderful. She blocked me and says, I make her feel badly about herself. Uh, 
Well, hmm. Judging from the fa from everything you say and what I know of you, I would have to say that it's not you. Um, she may have some ideas about you. She may assume that you don't accept her. Um, you, uh, she may have doubts about herself. She may not be absolutely certain uh, uh, about it. You know, sometimes, sometimes these things. You know, I don't know how old your daughter is, but boy, you know, it's hard enough growing up as a teenager finding a sense of identity that works. But now with gender gender fluidity, it's even more difficult. Trying to trying to come to terms with all the feelings that we all have, right? <laughs> and, and try to come up with some kind of a, of a functional sense of identity that will work in the world. And this has to happen, by the way. You, you, you can't tell them, oh, there is no self, there is no identity. It's too soon for that. There has to be a, a, a solidification into, into a, to become a functional uh, adult. And it's really difficult for kids to do that today. Um, uh, uh, one in my family, and um, and you know everybody's very uh, helpful and just okay. <laughs> you are not she. Fine. Right? Uh, and, you know you, you you do that, and really, if they're, you know, you you don't want her to suffer. I mean, that's the bottom line. You simply don't want her to suffer. And, and but of course, if she's a teenager, she, you know, she's going to, because it just comes with the territory, I'm afraid, because it's very uncomfortable, it's very awkward. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that to heart if she says you make her feel badly. Don't defend yourself. Don't, um, don't try to prove that you're not. <laughs> but just, just love her. Right? Just love her, want to be there for her, and um, just... Some point the door will open again. Right? That that message, even though she's blocked you and you have, there's no form of communication, your love does not need the internet. It does not need cell phones. The message rings out loud and clear, and so you can take it into yourself to remove from yourself, from your sense of consciousness. The notion that anything exists other than the self. That even a struggling teenager or struggling young person um, is the self. And there's nothing to fear, there's nothing to worry about, there's nothing that can be lost. And you simply let it play itself out. Holding, not making her something separate from happiness, separate from um, um, health, prosperity, uh, relationship, sense of self. That, that don't allow yourself to participate in the notion that she could possibly be separate from anything, that there's even a separate entity there other than the self. This is true love. Bringing in your, in your own heart and consciousness, bringing her back to herself. You recognize it for her even if it's lifetimes before she recognizes it for herself.
This is the Bodhisattva vow. Suffering beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. And having saved all beings from suffering, no being has been saved. It's the, the beautiful mystery of the Bodhisattva. So in your, to you and your conscience, there is nobody there to suffer. There's no sufferer. And outwardly this expresses itself in the deepest kind of compassion and helping hand and just being and doing whatever you need to be and do for somebody. But inwardly, you simply do not agree with the idea that there is any kind of a separate self. This is this is this is the the key, and I, I think it's the the key to the to the physical healings and well all the healings the the miracles of Christ arose from that fact that he simply could not see anything other than God. So do the same, and you'll you'll find yourself at peace, and in that peace you find it's everywhere. She's in that peace. She it also is that peace. There's nothing but the one, really. Use this as an opportunity to see that so deeply for yourself that <coughs> all possibility of suffering simply vanishes, saving all beings from suffering. <sighs> Wonderful. Thank you, Klesu. This time of love, I still seem unable to share it. I feel groundless. Oh, <coughs> sorry, everybody. At this time of love, I seem unable to share it. It's okay. Love finds a way to share itself. It's not a mission. It's not the mission of the personal, the person, to figure out how to express love. You are love. Recognize that you are love, and everything you do will be the expression of love. Washing dishes, coughing, taking a drink of water sitting and doing satsang, brushing your teeth. It's love, because love is all there is. This is, the great, this is the great mystery. So the I that feels unable to share that love, can you find that I? Who is it that's unable to share love? Does it exist? Does that one exist other than as a thought? That thought that says, I'm unable to share love. Is it true? <laughs> or is it just a thought? And if that thought never occurred to you, would you be unable to share love? See, this is what we're breaking down. It's nothing but a thought. It's not true. If I believe it to be true, I become someone who's unable to share love. I, because of the power of consciousness, I create a universe in which I'm unable to express love or, or to share love. I did that. You, <laughs> we, we do it. And then we think, it's, it's happened to us. That's that sense of I. Right? Let that I dissolve. You are love. You can't be anything other than love. Let that be the true and only I. And the rest will just completely fade away. 
Hello, I am you. Hi, dear GP and all from Cologne, Germany. Will science ever come to this eternal truth? To spiritual knowledge, knowing resurrection and pure consciousness? Or does the system of science not allow it? Uh, the institution, the ideologies of science disallow it, but they're transient, they're temporary. There are, there are people who are showing up, right? That are that are seeing through it. There's many actual scientists who've had non-dual experiences, but they don't talk about it because they'll because they lose all their credibility. They can't talk about this kind of things. It's just a matter of time. It's an ideological thing, right? And of course, m most of science now um, is dedicated merely to producing stuff for the marketplace. It's been reduced to invention. Rather, rather than 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 existential exploration, we live in a in a in a society and in a system that doesn't care about anything existential. It is purely perfunctory. I mean, it's 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 the worst. <laughs> it's the worst, and it it sacrifices everything for the for for profit. And so that ideology. And and it's and it, it it's come to the point where there's there's a, there is a legitimate discussion going on about about the mysterious, the great problem of consciousness. How does it become self-aware? The strict materialist won't even entertain it. It's just a function of matter. And and it says at some point we will find the structure that is the seat of consciousness. I haven't found it yet. I think it's in the amygdala or someplace like that. And a lot of people, a lot of New Age people pick up that and they're talking about the, the, the amygdala and the reticular activating system and these, and the, and these things and with the pineal gland and all of these kinds, of stuff, as if that was the seat of consciousness. The scientists say, no, we don't know what it is, but we know it's there, it has to be. It's just a matter of time. Now it's interesting, those same scientists would deny acupuncture because they, there's no evidence, there's no structure that corresponds to the meridians, so it can't be true. <laughs> and yet, do exactly the same thing when it comes to consciousness, because there's just this gap that some have gone over and gone, it doesn't exist, it is not a physical reality. It is a non-physical reality. There is something beyond matter. Or, or the materialism, which is also called physical realism, right? that it must be physical. And some have even gone so far as to say that the universe does exist, but it isn't physical. <laughs> Very few have gone so far as to say it is consciousness itself, but there are some. There are some that have. So what we're looking at in, in the scientific community, in scientific institutionalized, uh, community, you have the same kind of ladder climbing and, and you know, publish or perish or, that you have in every other walk of life. You know, people thinking about their careers and not just about the thing they're going to explore. And because, you know, a lot of scientific research is driven by grants, and the most grants come from the American military, you know, the, the ultimate goal is not to come to know what is real. It is to produce yet the latest widget, right? Mostly for warfare. 
tragic to say, insane to say, but that is the, that's where all the grants are coming from. <laughs> the internet was a defense contract. Go figure. <sighs> Hopefully that answers it for you, I am you, which is what we've been talking about all day. We are humanoid. <laughs> Hello. Welcome. Uh, let's see. Plan says yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Absolutely perfect timing. Got home to this just starting. After maybe two hours in the forest being in such. Yeah, no words. Love, love, love. I am. Thank you. You're welcome. I guess you answered my question when you're answering Merck's question. We cannot know it, just be it. It can't be known. No. There is, it cannot be known in its entirety. And when we say it can't be known, the mind will go, oh, okay, I can't know it. But it still makes this not it. It can't be known because this is it. And it's not it. <laughs> you can't know you. You can't know the infinite. Because by definition, knowledge is a, defin is a definition. It is some kind of a, some kind of a outline. It's some kind of an attribute. It's some kind of content. So the infinite being itself cannot be known, and yet everything is being. It's not everything has being, right? Or everything has consciousness. That's panpsychism, right? That everything, the atom, the molecule, my, my watch, everything has consciousness. No. Does a dog have Buddha nature or not? No. It does not have Buddha nature. It is Buddha nature. Not, nothing has consciousness. Consciousness has everything. This is consciousness. <laughs> and it isn't. Right? Because it's not all there is. It's the instance. It's the appearance. right? And it's appearance of what? It's not something else reflecting consciousness. right? Because then there would be two. It is consciousness. And it is not consciousness. It both exists and does not exist. This glass both exists and does not exist. It exists experientially, but when you look at it closely, the, the, for no moment is this thing in existence. <laughs> it's wacky. But this is the nature of reality. It's only our minds that have gotten so constrained and gotten so small that we... that that we've locked things in, we've frozen things, when nothing is frozen. We've turned the wind and tried to freeze it. Right? We've taken a wave and tried to take a picture of it. Well, you take a picture of a wave, it's not a wave anymore! <laughs> it's, like, it's like trying to take, take a photograph of, 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 of a great song. The moment you freeze it, it's not a song anymore. Right? This is the wondrous mystery of the entire thing. That it's a constant appearing and yet nothing inherently appears. What appears is myself. So I do know myself. And I don't know myself. Let me introduce you to me. <laughs> and the, the flowers on the deck out there, the trees, they're all the self. There's nothing other than the, the self. And all the rest of it is just names, conventions, words, 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 and more words, right? 
as, as, as Buddha himself says, nothing arises, nothing endures, nothing subsides. Nothing exists at all, and these are nothing but words. <laughs> ah, me. Mm. Mark Foreman, Happy Easter. What you teach is both profoundly the most important concept to understand is essentially simple. Freedom from the ego is what death and resurrection is all about for me. Yes, it is the, only that which is born can die. That which was never born can't ever die. It has no beginning and has no end. That alone is, is existence. That which is can never become that which is not. So it is what dies is the sense of birth and death. What dies, what is sacrificed, the sacrificial lamb on the cross, and the cross is an ancient symbol, right? The, the quartering of the, the universe, past, present, heaven, and earth, and in the center is the archetype of the, the, the king, or the sovereign, or the queen, the empress, which is the very nature of the realm, right? Which, and and is, brings all of it together. So on that, the, the personal ego is, is crucified. The, the, the king serves the realm, not himself. The false king serves themselves. That's the ego. That's Herod. That's Prince John. That's, that's a Scar, you know, from Lion, Lion King. Prince John from, from Robin Hood. Uh, you know, Herod in, in, in the Bible. These are the false kings that serve themselves. The true king does not. That's the resurrected king, king of the Jews. I mean, it's really a beautiful, beautiful story if you look at it as a myth. If you don't, it's horrific. And, and literally didn't happen. <laughs> and yes, it is deeply profound and utterly simple. So simple, the mind cannot fathom it. Because what could be simpler than one? What could be simpler than I am? Then it's already true. There is nothing to derive, nothing to attain, nothing to achieve, nothing to figure out, nothing to work through, nothing to practice. What could be simpler than that? You just are. Full stop, game over. The mind can't m handle that. And so there's this energy of doing. But that's okay. That energy of doing is the life force. That's the, the, the prana. That's the chi. Right? That is consciousness <laughs> in action. But never, ever does what appear become an, a self, become an entity in and of itself. That's the whole mistake, that this universe exists independently of me. Some people say, well, you see, nothing exists. Nothing exists independently of me. Well, then the sun doesn't exist, this bottle doesn't exist. They do not exist separate from the consciousness that perceives it. And if, if it's the consciousness that perceives it, upon which it depends, I mean, your mind doesn't exist separate from you perceiving your mind, right? Is it hiding somewhere and hopping on stage you when know, it gets its cue? It cannot exist without you. Right? So what is it then made of? Well, it's made of you. 
<laughs> Without you, it doesn't exist. Without it, you always exist. You're there, whether there's any thought or not. You experience that every night in deep sleep. You are there without any thought. Just, boom. You know, or in, oops, or in swoon, or in, you know, you faint, or something like that. Are you gone? No. There's simply no content. The space is now empty. In a moment, it'll fill up with planets and stars and grass and, and things. But the space remains completely undefinable. <laughs> how, how do you define space if you take everything out of it? <laughs> That's you. That is the real you. It's just totally beyond. Beyond, beyond, and beyond, beyond. <laughs> ah, happy Easter to you, Peter, in Italy. It is the ego that must die, must be free. Oh, you had more, Mark? Oh, I didn't see the rest. Oh, sorry. It must die to be free. Free of itself, yes. Best way for it to die is to starve it of what it needs to survive, identification and separation of object and subject. It is the ego that must die to be free. Oh, okay, it's just repeated. Um, yes, but the ego, go take it a bit further. Can you kill that which was never born? Because that which never existed, can it cease to exist? So even the ceasing and the the, the, the emerging and the ceasing is, is, is the self. There's nothing there. Right? The, the true death of the ego is to recognize that it does not exist. It never did. It's like Bugs Bunny. We all know what Bugs Bunny is. We talk about it, but Bugs Bunny exists only as a thought. The ego exists only as a thought. So there is no ego. The moment I make it a thing I have to deal with, I've created an entity. I've literally brought into an existence a, a devil. And a devil in the Bible, by the way, it simply means the adversary. Satan means the block. Right? It's simply that which denies. That's what the ego is. But the ego doesn't exist separate from your belief in it. So it has no existence. That's the true resurrection, when it's like, my God, it never existed in the first place. I can't have an ego death, because it never existed. You can't kill Bugs Bunny. <laughs> he never, he was never born. <laughs> now, the means by which we really dive all the way to the profundity of that is exactly what you point out. By starving yourself of identification with and the belief in the ego as an actual entity of any kind, you're denying existence to anything other than yourself. There, then there is no subject and object. Right? If it is all me, then there's no subject and object. It's not one thing looking at another. Then, as Balyani put it, the messenger is he, the message is he, and the receiver of the message is is he. The sender, the sent, and the and the one to whom it is sent are 
all him. That is all me. There is none other than myself. This is kind of a the theme here. This is the oneness satsang. It's delight, delightful, delightful, delightful. So what we're doing actually is we are expunging from ourselves all belief in anything other than the self. Anything other than the one. When Nizargadatta met his <clears throat> guru, the first thing the guru said to him was, nothing exists but you. You alone are. Give no reality to anything other than yourself. Nizargadatta's comment was, I puzzled over it. I trusted him. That's why he did it. That's why he pursued it. I trusted him. So I puzzled over it. I, it query, I queried into it. And I eventually came to see it. it was true. Give no reality to anything other than yourself. Anytime you do, that's the ego. But you've created it. You've just made Bugs Bunny. Think of your ego as Bugs Bunny, right? Eee, what's up, Dak? <laughs> and 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 you'll you'll very quickly come to freedom from it. It doesn't matter what it pops up. It's always the notion that something has popped up external to you that creates the conflict, that creates suffering, that creates the difficulty. There's nothing but you. And the mind will go, just me, GP, or Mark, or or. Uh, King Dale. No, those are all, those are all just ideas. Those are all concepts. Those are all forms. I'm talking about you. That which is hearing my words right now is the self. It is not Mark. It is not GP. It is not Mary. It is not anyone. It is the self. You are alone are. You are what is. You cannot deny your own existence which means you simply are what the scientists have been looking for, namely, that which is. I am. Ah, thank you, Mark. <clears throat> Oops, sorry, Peter. Didn't mean to put that up there. Uh, hello, Mary. Kingdale Clark, GP question, if you don't mind, brother. No, that's why I'm here. What's the best way to deal with unwanted, intrusive thoughts? <clears throat> thoughts that can lead one feeling in despair and that they are a bad person. What's the best way to convince them that they are not the thought? Bit of a different question, but relevant all the same. Um, <clears throat> well, don't try to convince anybody, but be convinced. <laughs> right? Then the words will come. Uh, but remember, the majority of the time, Ramana Maharshi said nothing. He was known as the silent sage. People would come and simply sit in his presence. He didn't try to change them, to enlighten them, to do anything at all. He just was it. And, 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 and many woke up simply because of that. If that wasn't enough, he would step down and he would speak in the kind of absolute terms 
that I'm speaking today. If that didn't work, he would take a step down from that and he would give various kinds of meditations and practices. And, that would, and he would step down again from that. Right? <clears throat> Just to, to, to hit somebody on whatever level he could hit them at. But the essential teaching was silence. Right? Was, simp was the pure presence that, that he was. So, dealing with unwanted thoughts, well, one way is to want them. <laughs> the problem isn't the thought, it's the fact you don't want it. Okay, so want it. Right? That's easier said than done, obviously, but start with allowing it. All right, there's a thought. You see, there's, what happens is that thought comes and another thought's, oh my God, this thought's going to lead you into despair. Oh, you should be more spiritual. Oh my God, it's just going to cascade. It's one thought after another. Well, it's already cascading, isn't it? Right? Because of the thought or the reaction to the thought, which is itself just a set of a, a bunch of cascading thoughts. What if the thought came up, the most horrible thought you can think of, and you went, oh, no reaction whatsoever? What could it do? It couldn't cascade, it couldn't develop itself, it couldn't call any friends over for a party. It couldn't, it, it, it couldn't like create like, none of that would happen. Right? So, let it be wanted. It has appeared. Right? If it has appeared, it's myself. Because there is nothing other than myself. So this is me. Oh, okay. Here's the thought. Appearing to me, appearing in me, and made of me. Even, and then the thought says, I don't like this thought. Well, there's another thought. Where did that come from? Right? Do I, awareness, pure love, have a preference for one thought over another? Can, me, can I, as pure love, I, can I not be in the presence of the most horrible things and still remain love? Can I not love that as well? Right? So now there's nothing, there's nothing to get rid of at this point. Love your enemies. Right? That's what Christ said. Um, he also said, agree with thine enemy whilst thou, while you are in, while you're having a conversation with him. Agree with it. Oh, okay. Just let it be there. Notice, if you have that pure yoga of allowing, nothing can trouble you. There has to be resistance to it. And the resistance is caused by an, a misunderstanding of it. It should be like this. These thoughts shouldn't be coming. Well, I know they should be coming because they're coming. <laughs> so let them come. If, you, if that shifts, your entire relationship with, with them shifts, which means the entire environment in which they are appearing has shifted, which means they will shift because they're nothing but a reflection of the, of the, more, of the more silent, invisible environment in which they are appearing. Be the self. Awareness doesn't go, oh, I like that thought, I don't like that thought. Just like your eye doesn't decide which light's going to get in and which light isn't. It, it has no judgment. If the image gets there, it's in. If the sound gets to your ear, it's in. Later we react to it, right? And that's all the conditioning and all the stuff laid on top of it, right? So get rid of the conditioning, right? Recognize that it is simply a reactive pattern. And who's aware of the reactive pattern? I am. Am I reacting? 
No, I'm just witnessing the reaction. And I'm like the infinite sky. The storm's going on. Oh, look at that. Am I touched by it? Does it leave a trace on me? <sighs> Gone. A galaxy can explode. Space is completely unaffected. This is the, the kind of neutrality and, 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 and compassion that is, that is what we really want to be cultivating. So become convinced in terms of sharing this with others. The more you, the more you do it, the more the opportunities will arise. The more you are grounded, uh, abiding there yourself, you, you don't even have to try. You know? People will ask. People will just kind of, how does this work? Why do you do that? Why don't you react? <laughs> and you just, oh, that's cool. <laughs> They'll get the, the, your silence will be your most powerful communication. Oh, thank you, King Dale Kirk. Robbie, when you mentioned love is ever changing because it does not have need of form, it brought me a sense of relief. It's obvious, but it did not hit until you put it into words that way. Thank you for answering. Mm, thank you for, thank you for being willing to be hit. <laughs> lovely, 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 wonderful, wonderful. Yes, we may have to hear these things many, 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 many times. Ponder them, as, as I, I mentioned with Nizagadatta. Um, he said, "I puzzled over it." In fact, he, he got so absorbed, every spare moment he had went into it. Now he was a a householder. He had four little cigarette kiosks that he that he ran in uh, in in Mumbai, which was then called Bombay, in the slums, right? He had four sons, I think, and was he was and married, and so he had all sorts of responsibilities, and so whatever time he had to himself, he devoted to this. He didn't go up in the mountains and pray, and he didn't go to a monastery, he didn't renounce his family. He just took whatever time he could and he pondered it. And in three and a half years, he became one of the greatest sages of all time. He, because of his de devotion, his earnestness is what did it. Right? And his trust in his guru. His guru said, give, give no reality to anything other than yourself. Give no existence to anything other than yourself. And that's what he did. He just followed it. So, uh, this is what I urge. Just, just do it. Well, yeah, just do it. Jeez. Mary, I did not know you moved. You're on late. Where are you living now? Oh, I'm very close to my son. I'm in Shoreline, but I just finally got my own place. I was, you know, living with my son and then family and I'm in the basement and I've got a backache because I was sleeping on the couch for a month. Uh, finally in my own bed um, and it, it's quiet and, and the like. So um, my granddaughter is not happy about me leaving, but uh, they're, uh, you know, five minutes away on my bike, right? Less than a car. So, so I'm very close to my son and my, uh, and my sister. So, uh, perfect topic today. There are no little things. No, there are not. So anyway, that's where I am now, Mary. <laughs> ah. Mark, non-duality can never be understood from the mind of, 
the duality. Duality seems to be what you get when non-duality filters itself and fractures into non-duality, subject-object form. Yes, it's all non-dual. Right? The, the, the duality is simply how we, how the non-dual manifests itself, because without duality there's no manifestation. So the ultimate non-dual, the ultimate oneness, is neither dual nor non-dual. It is transcendent of all categorizations. You simply, it's simply beyond. <laughs> the self is simply beyond. And so you can see that even emptiness, you can always have emptiness in the presence of somethingness, existence and non-existence and existence, non-duality with duality. right? And, and so they're all pointers to that which it neither exists nor doesn't exist. It's neither dual nor non-dual. It's just, oh, that's me. Right, that's you. And all of this is you. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Lisa Berry, GP, back in the U.S. from Germany. Yes, hello, Lisa. Jay, Hari Om G and everyone. I read and listened to some of the well-known Indian sannyasis and they put an emphasis on teaching the Bhagavad Gita to guide you to this realization. I've read articles on Raja Yoga and Prana Yoga by Swami Vivekananda. Uh, no, Vivekananda. I thought it was Vivekananda. Uh, the Art of Man Make Making by Swami uh, Chimayanda, a book of quotes from Ramakrishna, etc. But how come a teacher like you, G, is able to explain in simple terms and show this truth a lot faster? <laughs> I probably wouldn't have realized it if I were to read I Am That before I, I, I met you. Um, uh, well, these are all various kinds of traditions. They're all valid. They all come at particular times. Um, when you are ready, for the absolute, pure, undiluted truth, it shows up. In the Ribu Gita, it even points out, it says, it says, put aside all physical practices, all practices, except for the practices outlined in this book. And having read it several, several times now, um, I, I agree. But not everybody is ready not everybody is ready to hear, you already are the self. <laughs> Again, in the Ribu Gita, it says, only because you have gone through the austerities and disciplines and meditations and practices in many, many lifetimes, it's only because of that that this book even finds its way into your hands, let alone a teacher that can explain it to you. It's because you've already put in the work so you don't need those practices any longer. And you can begin to see that they're, they are a convention, they're temporary. That doesn't mean they're not useful. Of course they are. They're useful for those for whom they're useful. But all teaching is outgrown. My teaching, you will outgrow. There'll be no need for me whatsoever. I will become, and I want to become, obsolete. <laughs> And this is the nature of it. I mean, Buddha, the Heart Sutra, is a complete dismantling of even the Buddhist teachings to the point where it's the truth itself is simply beyond 
gone, gone, gone beyond, gone completely beyond. The great mantra of, of, of Prajnaparamita, the wisdom that takes you to the other side. So it is with total respect and honor of these great teachers. But the, the pure thread of, of Advaita Vedanta um, goes, goes beyond it. Zen Buddhism as well. Buddha, Buddha went, went beyond it. Um, but it's the same. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's the same in a, different, uh, in, in, a different, in a different language. As I said, the Heart Sutra, the Lankavatara Sutra, the, the, the Rubu Gita. There, there's plenty of wonderful things in the, in the Bhagavad Gita. Many revealings of absolute pure truth. But it was also aimed at the karma yoga, which is the um, which is the uh, uh, work act taking action with no attachment to the results. I mean, that's the key to it. That's what he was asking Arjuna to do in battle: just to have no attachment to the results. Just do what you had to do. This this is why you. This is what this life is for. And 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 you can see. How that could be a, a glorious step forward, a step out of you know personal attachment to outcome, but at the same time there's still somebody there. It has not gone to the place where there isn't anyone. Krishna is all there is, and there isn't even a Krishna. <laughs> it must become me. Right, the teacher must become simply the manifestation of the self, of myself. And then the teacher, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. When the student is really ready, the teacher disappears. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful. Good distinction. Produced and reduced. The internet is a defense contract. <laughs> yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Look up Bernardo Castro. I am you. Yes, uh, I've just recently become familiar with Ber Ber Bernardo Castro, um, who is he's not a non-dual teacher, although he talks about non-dual. I, I don't mean he's not a non-dual teacher like I am. He approaches it completely reasonably and rationally. He makes critiques of 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 panpsychism, of of uh, materialism or physical realism, and he's enough of authority that he's being published in. Um, in uh, Scientific American and other kinds of stuff. Rupert, um, uh, uh, can't remember his last name now. Not Rupert Spira, but uh, Rupert Sh Sheldrake. He's a biologist. He's another one that's uh, that's that's um, uh, coming out outspoken. The, 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 it's happening in, in the in the world of science. Bernard is really great. Yeah, you, you'll you'll enjoy him. But he doesn't try to do it, you know, through my approach of, of having the experience of being the self. He hasn't gone to that level, but he says there's nothing out here. It's, it is all consciousness. Consciousness is the essence of it. How do you define space if you take everything out of it? <laughs> I can see Lisa collecting quotes for our, our next show together. Lisa is my, by the way, is my, the producer of my show and my business partner. Um, Maximus, are you not entertained? Not quite sure how to answer that. Yeah, often. By a lot of, by a lot of things. Did I miss something prior to that? 
Sorry if I missed a promise to that, so I'm not really quite sure. Anyway, appreciate your fresh perspective on old myths being taken too literally. Yeah, uh, you know, that was Joseph Campbell, you know, really, it's my education about mythology and, and the like. So I have to give credit where credit is due, right? Um, yeah, he would call them petrifacts. You know, the moment it becomes a fact instead of, instead of a myth, um, you've destroyed it. And when that happens, a culture will get more and more dogmatic and cold and violent, just exactly what we're happening. The story isn't alive anymore. And life is. So if the mythology isn't, isn't, isn't constantly developing, isn't re-expressing that fundamental unchanging truth, re-expressing itself in the constantly changing world, you get, you get what we have now. Um, and, and it's even worse now because we have all sorts of false stories vying to be truth and all sorts of media perpetuating just this smorgasbord, somebody trying to control the story, recognizing that to control the story is to control the people. So I, I think uh, Lisa and I did a show called World War III, The Battle for the Mind, and that's what it is. It is a battle to control that, to control that story. And um, you know, fortunately, we can see through the whole facade of it. You know, I am not a story. The stories just come and go. No, sto no story is the truth. And that is our protection from being swept away. And that gives us, that gives us the capacity to just make the stories as we need them and never get stuck in any of them. To make a new story of existence. Not a, not a God who sits up in the cloud and tells us to conquer other people. But, but just the extraordinary wonder and beauty and mystery of the infinitude of our experience. And the total mystery of the self. So... Jerry's. Hello, Jerry's. Hi, everyone. Jerry's Jubran. Are you new? I think I've seen you before. Thanks for answering, GP. You're welcome. Mary, it's so f it is so fortunate oops, <clears throat> that one of us, that so unfortunate that those of us were indoctrinated that to be spiritual, one must not have unwanted thoughts. To finally hear that these thoughts are okay brings up such anger over the needless suffering. And that's okay, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what? What? <laughs> I, I did what for, what for nothing? Yeah, a lot of anger, resentment. It's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> um, then grief for lost opportunity. All of that stuff can come up. And then finally just this overwhelming gratitude for, for being free. I know, look... We've been lingering in this stuff for lifetimes. <laughs> for lifetimes. And so, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let that stuff, let the, all of that come up. It, it, this is what happens when you get liberated. God damn it. That was completely unnecessary. And... It just it just catalyzes our desire for freedom and our, our desire to see everyone enjoy that freedom. Mm. Brent, still recovering from the delusion to awakening course. What a masterpiece. 
It answered so many quiet, lingering questions I didn't even know I had. Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, which reminds me, I still, with the move and everything, I still haven't taken down the discount. <laughs> I can't believe it. I'll have to do that here. Put out one more email, the discount, because I'm going to do a live Q&A for the Delusion to Awakening course in um, on Thursday, next Thursday, yeah. So um, if you want to get in, there's the thing, just gpwatch.com slash D2A, if you still want to get it, and use that D2A launch as a coupon code, and it's like 100 bucks instead of 200 So I'm not going to leave this up, will I? Do the rest of satsang. So, um, yeah, it's... I, I tried to I tried to lay down a comprehensive path going all the way from I know absolutely nothing I'm just completely lost in the unconscious uh, up to uh, practices that bring us to the point where we, we where the awakening can happen and then going from there how it can integrate into the entire system because because nobody just wakes up ta da that's it. It's over, you know. I'm God now. I mean, there's this momentum of lifetimes, right? That that we need to that we need to work with and integrate back into ourselves. We need to come to see that there's nothing but myself, and that's the final piece, the puzzle, right? where I am that I am. <laughs> I am that I am, not this I am, not the ego. I am that I am. Happy new home to me. Thank you. Thank you. Input. Oh, it's Dale. You look fresh today. What do you think of other teachers? Is it good to have a few like I do or stick to one or not read much into it? Same Dale as mine. Yeah, different channel. Um, um, stick to one if it's me. If it's others, you can have others until you get to me. And then it's all me. <laughs> um, One should take in as much as you can un until someone resonates with you and then you stay with them, right? Until they, they don't. And, you know, I know some may leave me and go on others. They may go to Buddha, uh, to, um, you know, into, into a, a Zen master. They go to Muji, right? It's fine, right? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I could be the last for, for some. That's fine, too. Um, the thing to make sure uh, to avoid is the mind will want to like hop from thing to thing to thing because it's avoiding dedicating itself to anything. But if you're going to listen to a teacher, really take them in right? and, and put, put it into practice. That doesn't mean that you, sh you can't listen to many, but when you listen to many, okay, what's... Where, what's the common thread? What's different? Why is that one different than that? Is he saying something different or just saying the same thing in a different way? Right? Because what you're really after is not the teacher, but the truth. Right? And the teacher is only the vehicle through which that truth communicates to you with the least amount of resistance and the least and that which resonates most with you, that which represents you to you best. Right? And at that point, just... just it's not the ignore. I mean, I read all sorts of things. Muji is my teacher, right? But I, I, I read all sorts of stuff. I watch stuff from Papaji. I read Nizagadara. I, I read the 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 Ribugita, the Lanka Lankavatara. 
So it isn't as if it's like nothing but, you know, because that could become rather dogmatic, right? It could become devotional, right? But, but yet that is the embodiment of it that is absolutely for me. And I know that. And I asked him specifically to be that for me, which he agreed. So that's, so it is, remember the ultimate, the teacher is also just the manifestation of yourself. That too is you, right? So the real me happened to look like a Jamaican with, with, with dreadlocks. Okay. <laughs> who am I? Who am I to say? So yeah, just, just the mind loves to sample and say, "Oh well, that's okay. No, this is cooler." It wants to jump around and judge. Make sure you're you're you are devoted to the truth, right? And that's what you're looking for, and that will never lead you astray. There'll be times when it'll be just exclusively focused on, on, on one. There's many practices of mujis that I just I just do that. Right? Isn't the invitation to freedom is just marvelous? Yeah. So, I think that help. <clears throat> Mary says, "You know what I'm experiencing, GP. It brings up such rage too." Yes. 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 Yes, it does. Rage, anger, grief. Sadness, it's like, what a waste. But seeing the waste of it makes you, makes you realize that, you know, these, these, these aren't just little mistakes we're making. I mean, they're, they're creating suffering. They're costing us dearly. <laughs> we don't even recognize it. And this just kind of just inspires us to want to, to help others. You know, I just want to make, I, I just want to save all beings from suffering. That's the Bodhisattva vow. I vow to save them all. <laughs> How do I save them? By seeing that there aren't any. By taking them all into myself. Every suffering being is myself. <clears throat> In the Vedantic path, you come to see there is nothing but me. That's what is called enlightenment. But then, the outward, the tantric path, is when, when, okay, nothing is me, everything is me. You're taking everything into yourself. All suffering beings are me suffering. Therefore, I, re I am... I am saving all beings from suffering in me. I am taking them all on. As Christ said, took this on the sins of the world. That's what it was that was what was meant by that. And so it isn't just I'm just I'm re enlightened, right? And now I'm you know, I'm cool, right? It's we are. <laughs> we are enlightened. And there it really isn't even a we. As Nisargadatta said, to know that you are nothing is wisdom, to know that you are everything is love. Between these two, my life flows. And Buddha said, when I attained the great unexcelled enlightenment, 
simultaneously all beings attained the great unexcelled enlightenment. Hmm. Ponder that. The ultimate liberation of the self, of the Buddha, the one, the awakened one, is when that one and all are one and all are saved. There's no one left to suffer. Hmm. Brad, it's priceless. No discount needed, G. Yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah, it's true. I mean, that was it was four days long. Yeah, there's like eight, almost eight, ten hours, <laughs> right? And I went into it as as in depth as I possibly could. Um, David and Lane, thank you once again for this beautiful satsang. We both love this deep dive into truth. The deeper, the better. Okay, going out of the out of the out of the snorkel and into the scuba. <laughs> Into the, uh, I know what do they call the thing, the bathyscaphe or something like that that goes down at the bottom of the ocean. Ah, oh, thank you, gentle GP. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to everyone. Beautiful satsang today. Thank you much, Jeep, as well as for the from delusion to awakening. Oh, you're all very welcome. You're all very welcome. And now I can get back to uh, putting things away, <laughs> washing dishes and clothes. And <laughs> Oh, my dear friends, just let me spend a minute with you before I leave. It's always, it always means so much to me to be able to, to share this message with you all and, and to have it heard, <laughs> to have it, you know, have the seeds falling on, in, into good ground. It's taking route and it root and it's, and it's sprouting in the, in the resurrection. Because it cannot help but happen. It is, it is a matter of grace. It is not a matter of something sought. Even, even our seeking is Him. <laughs> our prayer is Him. There is nothing but the Self, and you are that. Till next time, my, my dear friends. Namaste. Namaste.